0: You're listening to The Jam Price Show, all about movies, and today, my guests are producer-directors Ricky Stern and Annie Sundberg, and we're going to be talking about their new documentary entitled, My So-Called High School Rank. Welcome to the show, Annie and and uh, and Ricky. <laughs> sorry. sorry. Thank, you. Thank you. Oh, my God. I was talking to people about this uh, <laughs> yesterday on my hike, actually. On Tuesday, I hike, and then I was talking to a woman who's from Lebanon, and she she said when her children were born, she told them right away <laughs> from the time they were born that college was not an option, that they had to go to college. And uh, her children are grown, and one's a successful engineer, and the other one is a surgeon. So, uh, you know, so th- I told her about this documentary, and I said, you must watch it. You must watch this documentary, because she said things for her now have 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 changed since her children are in their 30s now. Uh, so, I thought This is, you know, and anybody who has raised children, is raising children, or our grandparents should watch this documentary because it's got so much in it that is so relevant today in today's world. So I'm really excited to be talking about it. Ricky, why don't you, for our listeners, why don't you just tell them a little bit the synopsis of this, of my so-called high school rank?
1: Well, let's see. The film is about, I would say the film originated as a story about the college scandal, about the Varsity Blues FBI scandal. And as Annie and I pursued that story, it was clear that we weren't going to get it. So we, we switched gears and we follow a musical that was written out of California at a high school that focuses on the high school pressure to be ranked high so that you can get into the best college. And when you get into the best college, you have the best life ahead of you. And what is so interesting about that musical is that it was written in the school where Rick Singer, who was the mastermind behind the college scandal, had had done college advising. And they wrote it before the college scandal broke. And people sort of said, oh, this dystopian view of high school pressures. No, this doesn't exist. People don't bribe people to get into higher ranks. And sure enough, then the scandal broke. And the musical just took off and had the zeitgeist moment. So Annie and I filmed it as it moved through different high school from Cupertino, California, which is in the shadow of Silicon Valley, to West Virginia, to Ripley, West Virginia. Really trying to look at what what is happening in with the high in high schools. What are what's happening with our high school students? What is the pressure they're feeling? Where does it come from? And then was, we were filming this thinking we would get their spring performances of this musical, which also that has this language in it, the, the, su- the singing and the music in it is very much reflective of the angst and anxiety you students are feeling the pandemic hit. And so um, this is a very long answer. I'm sorry, I oh, will keep to going for the rest of this. <laughs> But so, and then we pivoted and captured our kids during the pandemic. We followed up. We did this for HBO. They said, "Why don't you capture an urban school?" And we started filming in the Bronx at the Fordham School for the Bronx. So the film has these three distinct parts: before pandemic, pandemic, and post-pandemic. Three acts, like a like a musical, like a play. And then the music from the musical really becomes the soundtrack for the film. It becomes the soundtrack for our lives during the, the pandemic of anxiety and. Tension and George Floyd's murder, all of it. Um, So it it becomes this bit of an odyssey of a film that I think when people say, oh, I don't know if I want to watch a film about high school pressure and college, because I have a senior right now applying to colleges, it's like, you know, there's a lot of joy in it too. There's the music and the camaraderie. And what you realize is that students across the United States have dreams and hopes and are very much alike.
2: And I think it gave us all sort of inspired inspiration for the future of this next generation. I think a lot of people have thought that this is this is going to be an anxiety-inducing film, but in fact, it's actually very hopeful in the end. I think a lot of what we were, what we've seen this week in New York at the screenings at Docommoisee, were just people who were really connecting. I think the music is particularly resonant, right. and the screenings have been a variety. We had a really great screening with a bunch of teens, um, local students from the New York City schools. One in particular is a very high-pressure school, and I think that there's a there's a it, it's an interesting combination. It allows people to revisit the experience of being in lockdown during covid feeling hugely isolated but also for being seen and i think that these teenagers yesterday in the in the screening had a couple of really interesting comments about how they feel that parents don't really understand the pressures that they're under and what they aren't really allowed to talk about because there are certain expectations happening at home
0: I was just sort of surprised by a lot of things obviously it's a long time ago since i was in high school that you can check on your phone almost on a daily basis to find out where you're ranked in the school that yeah. just blew me away I think that would be be so debilitating. I think that could either freeze you from, I don't know, it, it, it could it, may, it could go two different ways. It could make you want to achieve more, or it could make you like, well, I guess like, I've, I've tried as hard as I can. I'm not going to get any better or higher ranked, you know, and how important it is. And when they, when they talked about a 4.0 used to be the, you know, the standard, and now it has to be more, and then all the other extracurricular activities that you have to be involved in today, and then the parents, especially in, in the Cupertino area, um, you know, putting more pressure on their children. I just was blown away. And, and, and suicide rates are really high now uh, amongst our teenagers, unfortunately. And you wonder how much is this contributing to it?
2: I do think that there's a sense that a single misstep can really um, throw you completely off track. And, and what I hope is the message from our film is that there are so many ways to skin a cat you know, that's probably a horrible phrase to use in this day and age. But I do think that what these kids, they're sharing is, you know, they're all pursuing very different post-secondary school, post-high school outcomes, very different ranges of colleges, some arts-oriented, some Ivy League. But I do think that they really come into an understanding of who they are. And one of our favorite characters in the film, you know, we love all of our children, but there's a character named Leo who talks, who has a fairly healthy mental attitude, which is, we always joke that he's like, I go to bed at 10, and if I still have work to do, that's tomorrow me's problem. He's very much about sort of making sure that he prioritizes his health, his sleep, who he is, and he's a one day at a time. Like I I will fix things in the next day. And we were when we first started this project, I will say the interviews that we did with kids, it was pretty frightening. I mean, these are kids who are totally sleep deprived. A lot of the kids in the really high pressure schools, then that anxiety spills over into insomnia. So it's a combination of like they're staying up late to do work, not sleeping, which is putting them behind so many other levels, and then to their point if I get one bad grade, I've missed a scholarship opportunity, or I am now completely out of the running for, you know, National Honor Society or whatever it might be.
1: I mean, we, we saw students, you know, if you get a B and you're an A student, your ranking goes down, you know, immediately you see the impact of that. So to your point, you know, earlier, it, it impacts students in two ways. One is they don't want to take risk. They, they feel mm-hmm. fearful that if they take a risk and they don't do well, you know, that could impact their lives forever. And then, but they also have to take these weighted classes. So, you know, w- w- how you can get higher than a 4.0 is you take these classes that are honors classes or what they call weighted classes, and you take those as opposed to maybe taking an experimental English class that you're interested in. So it's also impacting very much. So, you know, not just quality of their high school experience, but you know what in terms they're actually learning and, and seeking. I have my, my own, <laughs> hopefully, You won't hear this, but my own seventeen-year-old, in this fall, as he's applying to colleges, had gotten a grade that he wasn't as happy with, and he literally said, "I can't apply to certain colleges now because of this one grade, which was not a bad grade." And and I was saying, "God, it is so. You know, you fit right into the movie. It's completely distorted, and that's just not the case. It's not going to impact your future." But um, I don't know. As parents, we must play a role in this, maybe, and that's what we get to in the film. Is I think the parents there's a lot of fear about. the future, and so at least this is one thing that people feel they can control. If I do well, as Oja says in the beginning of the film, I do well. I'll get a great career, and I'll have a happy and a family, and I'll be happy. It's
0: just a shame because I think high school years are a time for us to explore and experiment and uh, see what we really do like, you know, and what direction we want to go into. I went to a private uh, high school, private girls' high school, and it was college preparatory, but I never felt that kind of pressure. I mean, I just didn't feel that kind of. pressure. You know, I was very involved with the arts, and that's where I was headed. You know, in, in theater arts. But uh, and that's why I love that you included that in this documentary. That you, you show that. Um, I think it's so important. I cried. I have to tell you, I cried a number of times in this documentary. I, there was very, very, there were very, very, very touching stories. Um, I'm going to start to cry now when I start to think about them, especially. I, was it Isaiah? Is that his Isaiah. name? Yeah. Talk, let's talk about Isaiah because that was really a touching story. Sorry, I, I, I was really, as I said, I started to cry quite a bit. Yeah. Ricky, why don't you why don't you start with that?
1: Isaiah was important because he, as a young man, and he identified with George Floyd as a black young man in New York, and whose father died when he was in ninth grade, who was being raised by his mother who didn't get a chance to go to college, <laughs> and whose older brother didn't go to college and has a younger brother. He really has felt a lot of pressure And ultimately, financially, he could have taken a large loan out to go to one of the colleges and the school helps find scholarships. Fordham School for the Arts has arts and and other kinds of, and that was really important for him. But, you know... I think for Isaiah, just having theater as an opportunity to express himself, he talks a lot about how that changed who he was as a ninth grader who lost his father and beginning to have the self-confidence and feeling good about himself and having the support from the theater arts program. Very important
0: to, to have that, you know, included. Also, Annie, let's talk about the the musical ranked because I loved it. I loved it. And I loved how you, you know, went it went all the way through the, the, the documentary, but, and also, well, yeah, let's, let's talk about ranked and what was going on pri- prior to the pandemic for that show.
2: Well, I think, I mean, we were really struck when we heard this piece on NPR and then we went in and we actually listened to the, you know, a couple interviews and some songs from this. We were like, wow, this is, this didn't feel like a high school musical. This felt right. like a really well-produced pre-Broadway show. And it's funny because I think for us, you know, pre-COVID, there was always going to be originally this sort of A, B storyline, which was just as these kids are kind of realizing the culmination of their high school experience and what they're sort of hoping to launch themselves into, we were tracking what Kyle and David were really hoping to do with this musical. And as you see in the play, they really dreamed of bringing it to Broadway. And that last, you know, March 2nd and 3rd, when they were doing the auditions, um, which are part of the film, there was still huge hope that they could get some Broadway producers and investors in the room to take it forward. I actually think this show's got legs, and I really do hope that now people will see the film and start to throw more interest behind what they're up to. Great. It's been hugely satisfying for them to see the, the schools connect with this play, and I think that that is, um, they were not, certainly not expecting to have the kind of outreach that they have had. You know, people just cold calling them saying, how can I do this in my school community? But I do think it, it deserves a place on Broadway. I so um, But I also think you know, it was interesting during, you know, during COVID, it was sort of the how do you keep some alive and there's a really beautiful duet by this pair of actors who are friends of the production and it's a version of come up for air and if you google it it's you know come up for air on youtube um and it's uh i don't know i just think that the songs really feel both of a time and kind of timeless in terms of where we are with high school experiences right now so
0: I, I yeah I hope I agree with you I think it does deserve to go on Broadway there's no question about it I think it's uh,
2: but it, it is a nutty process I mean we were like oh in the sh- in the course of making the film we thought well if they actually get some traction you know this was before the pandemic we thought well will be will we be filming kind of the roadshow aspect of them Is they like you know will the film end with kids doing it and then they're opening you know like some sort of stage in Chicago doing basically a yeah it's
1: how did you? And that was fun. Oh, I was just going to say the fun part was seeing the young people audition for it yes. and all connecting to it. I mean, we had so much yeah. fun, even though it was a very uh, long process, several years making this. Um, There's a lot of joy in it.
0: Yeah, and I love the casting agent who, you know, said she how many years thirty years she's been casting plays and it was the first time she cried in an audition i thought that was really touching touching yeah it really was um how did you choose the schools how did this all come about you you know and let's talk about well you already talked about where they were but how did you choose them
2: i'll just i'll start rick and then maybe you you know can talk about like the New York part of it when we first realized we wanted to get inside high schools, so, you know we, we sort of we, we we began this film by basically going out and filming Granite Bay High School, the original home of the production, before these kids were sort of off into the world, so they had done this in you know March right before the pandemic or right before the Rick singer charges that happened in two thousand nineteen and so now it was June, and we filmed a really beautiful um, performance at a a sort of historical theater in Sacramento. And it was around that time, David and Kyle, the show creators, were getting lots of reach out. And so we went through the list with them about schools and said, one, where can we get in? And two, what are the student bodies like? And I think Cupertino jumped out to us because it is an incredibly affluent, for the most part, community. There's a lot of first-generation families where you have an incredible diversity um people a lot of them are coming from incredible tech experiences in india or coming from eastern european countries and um it was just kind of radically mixed you know and and it felt fresh and so we thought okay let's start there and these are kids who all have parents with multiple grad degrees so a little bit of pressure at home maybe to achieve academically Um, And we just happened to luck out in that the Cupertino School has a pretty robust and remarkable theater program. And Arcadia Conrad, who is um, the theater director there, she comes from her own professional background, and um, she hooks these kids up. I mean, these kids graduate, and they actually go on to real careers in the arts. And then we were like, okay, what's a counterpoint? And as we looked through the list of schools, one of the schools that really struck us was Ripley, west virginia very small very um isolated rural town and we thought, would this musical even work for these kids like does it you know what are their high school experiences like and it turns out they were very interested in doing this show mm-hmm. and they have a very different kind of aspiration in the sense that you know one girl admits she doesn't Really track what an Ivy League school is or could mean, but they do know what a scholarship means because there's something called the Promise Grant within the state of West Virginia, where if your gPA is above a certain amount, you actually get a really nice boost um, to help you with college, and these kids are all desperate to stay within that top percentage so they get the state money
0: and that was interesting because you know again you wouldn't think that it would be the same, you know the Cupertino. Obviously, right. and West Virginia, you know, it and I've I thought that was interesting. But they have a different kind of pressure, obviously. It's not so much the yep. parents weren't putting pressure on them as much as they were putting the pressure on themselves, I think.
2: And then and then we had to have a new school, right, Rick? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then and then we ended up um looking
1: during the pandemic when people really weren't traveling as much early on. We looked in New Jersey and Newark. We were looking for more of an urban environment and we looked in the Bronx, we looked in Brooklyn, we looked in Chicago and Detroit, and ultimately we got into Fordham School for the Arts um, because they had heard about the play um, and were interested. And uh, And then we were looking in Brooklyn at the Uncommon Charter School just as a way of getting in the door to a school, which was very difficult. Um, uh, and we were coming at it sort of late, you know, in like as the fall was approaching and school was starting um, you were, were going to say something, Annie? No. Oh,
2: anyway. well, the one thing I was going to say that I thought was interesting too for us is that, I mean, it was physically impossible to be in the schools once March 13th, 2020 happened. I mean, right. schools just closed down. So we, we, you know, we were like, we didn't have a story. We, we were going to be there for graduations. We were going to be there for like, you know, the final, like, the performances, the rehearsals, all the other stuff, and that just went away. And so... Um, It was also, it wasn't easy to get into a school in New York. I mean, that was the thing. I mean, we had to speak to the Board of Ed and convince, I mean, it it
1: took a while. And then even within that, as you see in Fordham School for the Arts, a lot of it was remote learning and hybrid. So there were only a handful of students that actually went to school wore masks that's the other thing is kept saying like can you just pull your mask out? <laughs> you know, Like, because the whole movie we couldn't have kids with masks on so you know we they rehearsed outside when the weather was nice you know it was all that kinds of things that everyone was navigating in in, in real life and then trying to make it work in the schools and in people's homes so we we shot a lot in people's homes as well
0: What a a difficult time to be filming uh, this type of documentary in particular um, during that time period. Um, I love how people got real creative, though. I mean, that they, you know, that was everybody got real creative during the pandemic and started, you know, the video. And then they saw that Broadway stars were were doing this and starting to put their shows on through Zoom and, and whatnot, and that they also started to do that. Was that something that was easy for you to uh, discover that they were doing this? Or did they come to you and say, yes, this is what we're doing, so you could record it? Annie. Yeah.
1: The Zoom. I mean, well, David and Kyle, who, who wrote the play Ranked, we were in touch with them obviously from, because some of it too, as you see in the film, the the week that the world shut down, not only was it two weeks before we were supposed to film the play in the high school being Mm. performed, it was when they were going to go in front of Broadway producers with their reading and their, uh, you know, uh, basically from getting their show out there for funding. So they were devastated as well. And, they put on ranked the zoom musical on their own and told us that this was going to happen. And so that was our ability, our ability to track it came really from them.
0: Have you been able to, have you followed them since you um, ended the documentary since you stopped filming? Have you continued to follow these students or, and do you have any plans to uh, follow them and maybe do a follow-up documentary?
2: both ricky and i often say that when we work with teenagers this is the second film with a lot of teenagers that we've worked on um primarily teenagers we'll never do this again um <laughs> it's very difficult people at this time of their lives don't often really want to deal with documentary crews um the kids in our film were really great though about staying in touch it just took a lot of outreach we do see them we had a chance to get everyone together in new york this last week which was fun so um, several of the students that we've covered have all migrated because you know arts are really key to New York City. A lot of the kids are sort of in and around the new york area, and um the kids who are, for example, in West Virginia, Annie Blizzard is one of our also kind of leading characters out of that area. She and her family took over the local dog um grooming shop, and so she's been working really hard and saving money because she is dreaming of going to California. And so we were even talking with her about, you know, how do we help support her in her dreams, of what she wants to do um, with special effects makeup. But the kids, I mean, I think one of the best moments for us was watching one of the students who'd been in the Granite Bay um, production, who's now ending her her NYU undergrad program, connect with one of the kids from the Bronx, who's in the early part of their NYU program, and just advising. I mean, it was really special and that happened. So yeah, we're, You know, we're in touch, and in fact, we just got more emails after the screening, so I have a feeling we'll know these kids for a while.
0: Yeah, I would hope so. You know, you you formed those um, relationships and bonds during that period of time. I would hope that you would continue to follow them and find out how things have gone on with their life. Maybe it's 10 years down the road that you uh, do a documentary about what happened to them.
2: I think one thing that's really – I just want to add that's not – I mean, we it's in the film because it's part of the storyline, but I think one of the things that's remarkable is seeing a lot of the first generation college students who are having experiences now um, after high school met and making it to really sort of interesting schools that, um, you know, there's there are new supports that were never in place even 10, 15 years ago now, which is great. Um, and, and I think that that's really allowed these kids to flourish, um, which, which, you know, hopefully that means that our education system is getting a little bit better, that there's some equity. So
0: I hope so. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> hope so. Uh so you have you have premiered this. It's it's going to be airing on uh, HBO, I think, on November 29th, and then streaming on HBO Max after that. Uh, but you've taken it to film festivals. What has the reaction? I know you said you were at New York Docs. Is that correct? Um, and
1: we Doc Fest, yeah and, yeah, and also at Woodstock. And then we screened it at Menlo Park in California at um, the film festival there. So, yeah, it's been... I think for Annie and for me, it's been sort of surprising how emotionally connected people get because there's so many characters over such a long period of time. I think we were afraid that, you know, in some ways, it's this patchwork of people's experiences that maybe they wouldn't stand out or you wouldn't emotionally connect. But there are so many moments that I think are grounded in all of our experiences of living through the pandemic, that I, I think it's a cathartic experience for an audience to watch this and to live back through it, not in a painful way because it ha- it was a very painful time for many people, but in a way of like, Oh, remember when the world shut down and mm-hmm. we were, we had to go through this and we felt isolated and alone. And so did these kids and the kids talk about it and they share their home videos and they sh- share the uncertainty. And I think that, Was I think that was surprising for us um, in audiences, just to to see how emotionally connected they were to the students.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it's it's a beautiful documentary. It really is, and as I said, everyone should see it. You know, grandparents, parents, uh, students, uh, younger students you know, uh, who are coming, Go maybe go, about to enter a high school. Uh, there's a lot to it and um, again, thank you both I, and everybody seek it out on HBO on November 29th and also on HBO Max afterwards. So I wish you much success. Look forward to having you both back on with your next documentary. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Jan.
0: To all my wonderful loyal listeners, your love of film allows me to do what I do. If you want to support me, the best way to do that is to hit the subscribe button on the iHeart Podcast Network, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, and of course, on YouTube. Subscribing matters. If you are feeling really compelled, I want to hear from you. Have a burning question, comment or review? Drop me an email at com. Thank you for listening.